Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Community Church's online service. I am Pastor John, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge. And we are grateful that you are tuning in with us through this online service. Whether it's through the podcast or through the YouTube channel, it is good that we can connect through technology. I do want to encourage you, though. If you are in town and if you are ready and able, come and join us in person. Your safety is our priority. We recognize that there are concerns around COVID-19, but we have precautions in place in our indoor services. We also have an outdoor service as well. Our two indoor services are Saturday night at 5.30, Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, and for right now, we are requiring masks to be worn regardless of vaccination status. Our outdoor service is at 10.30. Masks are not required at the outdoor service. So come and join us because church was meant to be done in person, an actual community with human beings, not just pictures of people on a screen. So come join us, worship with us. For this week with our online service, the way this goes is you have this intro here, then you'll hear the word of God read, you'll hear the word of God preached, and then we'll have two songs to help guide you in musical worship. God bless you and may this service of worship be a blessing to you. Amen. For those of you who I haven't met yet or who I don't know yet, I'm Pastor John, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge. And for all of you, I just, I just have an update that has nothing to do with anything. But I'm really glad that things are opening up. And it feels like we have moved into a different stage of this pandemic, though it is still real. And there, there are cases rising throughout the country. Here locally, we're in a good spot. But I got to say, there's, there's a downside to it also. I got my first cold in like two weeks or two years this last week. And I had forgotten just how annoying colds are. How you're like kind of sick, not really sick. You can do some stuff, but not everything. And everything you do, you don't do it that well when you try to do stuff. Um, it's really annoying. So that's one of those things about reopening that I'm a little like, ah, oh, you know, I wish we could avoid that. But I also have a two-year-old, so I know I'm going to be getting sick a lot coming up here. Again, that has nothing to do with anything. That's just life. We've been going through the Moses Legacy series, and we're coming to the end of that series this weekend. Um, this is going to be the last we look at um, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And we're actually closing with the very end of Deuteronomy. So we'll be saying goodbye to Moses ourselves as we look at the Bible's depiction of Israel saying goodbye to Moses. So I'll be reading from Deuteronomy 34 tonight, um, just the entire chapter. You get a whole chapter tonight for good behavior. This is the word of the Lord, and I invite you to hear God through this word. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh. All the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb, and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zor. The Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. 
He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired, and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants in his entire land, and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me in prayer, please. Lord, we gather here this evening to hear your word to be shaped and formed by your spirit, to be sustained and nourished by your spirit, and to be sent out into the world as your people, pointing to the hope we have in you, confident in all that you have done to redeem and restore your creation. So we ask that you speak to us now through the scriptures, Lord. May we hear your voice through the scriptures and reflecting on them. May we understand you better. May we see you at work more clearly, and may we follow you better. Speak to each and every one of us now, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this is the end of Moses' direct story. After this point in the Bible, Moses will not be a character himself. He'll be talked about. People will reflect on him. His legacy will live on, but he himself, he actually only shows up one other time as a character, and that's in the New Testament, in the, what's called the Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah will appear and be talking with Jesus on the top of a mountain. We don't actually hear what Moses says there, though. But from this point on, Moses' voice just becomes a legacy. And Israel is forced to say goodbye to him. There's sadness in this, but there's also some hope. There's sadness in this because obviously Israel has to say goodbye to Moses. I mean, think about the journey that they have been on, the people of Israel with Moses to this point. When Moses first came to them, when they were in slavery in Egypt, they didn't have an identity together. They didn't have the covenant with God. The law had not been given to them. Their identity wasn't rooted in God. They knew these faint promises of a land that was promised to them. And now at this point, as they're saying goodbye, Moses has brought them all the way there to the promised land. The bond between Moses and the Israelites, it had to have been so deep. Over 40 years they'd been together now. 40 years in the desert there, together, journeying, suffering, celebrating, there's obvious sadness there. I mean, you can see that in the text here. In the, in the way the Bible talks about Moses, you can see the affection that the Bible has for Moses. I'm also just going to say right now, I got really distracted because a fly was just... Could you see it? Yeah, there's a fly. It's Satan's fly. 
Um, but you can see the affection that the Bible has for Moses in that last paragraph there where it says a prophet like Moses never has arisen since. Somebody who did all the signs and the wonders that Moses did. There's like a longing for somebody to fill that role again for Israel. You can also see that Moses is held in high esteem here with the description of how he dies. We don't actually get how he dies, but we're told that when he dies, his eyesight is intact and he didn't lose any of his vitality. Now, he's dead. Obviously, he lost some vitality. So I don't know what exactly that means, but in the Bible, if you want to figure out who a hero is, go look at how they die. He's back. Go look at how they die. I, that fly's about to die. Um, go look at how they die. And you can sense, like, how does the Bible see this person? If they say things like they're, they're physically strong when they died, or they died doing something physically great, then you know they were a hero in Scripture. And not everybody dies that way. There's some people in Scripture you learn about, we're told that they're not as vigorous and vital anymore. So the Bible is looking back on Moses here with this longing and this affection. And really there's sadness here because this is a passage about grief. You heard it there. They do a period of mourning and all of Israel weeps. They, they cry, they mourn for their loss of Moses here. There is grief in this passage. There's a letting go, a saying goodbye to Moses. Now grief is something that all human beings, well, most human beings, experience and acknowledge. It's something that binds us together as humans. This idea of grief, that process of letting go, of saying goodbye to someone or something that we loved dearly, that was close to us. Grief is something that binds us together as humans, but for so many of us, it can be so hard to talk about. We're entering into the holidays right now. We're entering into a time of celebration, but for many, the holidays are a time of grief also. When we have those gatherings where we get together, we're reminded of the people that we loved that are no longer there with us. We're reminded of the relationships that have to end. There's grief in this time as well that we're entering into, this season that we're moving forward in. Sometimes we can try to push it away and try to ignore the grief. But I just don't think as Christians we get to do that. Now, grief affects each and every one of us in different ways. For the Israelites, they had a whole structured period of grief. As a culture, they had set up a way of doing this together so that they could grieve together. But I don't know if we really have it as structured here in our culture. And I think grief, it shows up for so many of us in different ways. Sometimes people can have physical responses to grief. I remember, for me, the first time I really experienced an intense time of grieving was in high school. A friend of mine lost his life. And it's more precise to say a friend of mine um, gave up his life. He, he took his life when I was 17 years old. And they talk about these different stages of grief that you go through. Denial, anger, acceptance. I don't know them all because it changes depending on which psychologist you're reading or which writer or thinker you're reading. But for me, 
the way grief manifested was in three days of complete denial. In my own head, I just forgot that I even knew my friend. I just didn't even acknowledge what had happened. Everybody else was crying around me, but for whatever reason, I couldn't connect with it. And I just went about my life for, for three days. And then I was with some friends. They were telling a story about my friend who had died. And all of a sudden, it was like a physical response of something just hitting me. And it felt like the grief actually just punched me in the chest. And I remember just falling to the ground and weeping. And it all just unloaded. I then went to therapy and did counseling and worked through that. Um, it took years and years for me to even talk about it without crying. For some of us, grief is buried so deep and it's so intense that it starts to manifest physically. For some, it happens suddenly, like I said. For others, we hold on to it for years and years and years. But for us as Christians, we can't just ignore grief. Even if it's intense, even if it's painful, we can't just ignore it. And we shouldn't ignore it. And I say that because God addresses grief. In the Bible, God addresses grief. God responds to grief, but even more directly, God responds to what causes grief, which is death. Death is another one of those topics we don't like talking about, but we are talking about Moses' death here tonight. And death is what God is responding to in the Bible. Now, last few weeks, few months, since I've been here at Stonebridge, over and over again, I have said, love your enemies. You have to love your enemies. As Christians, we don't get the luxury of hating our enemies. We have to love our enemies. For a lot of you, I know that you say, yes, that is great. But for others of you, I know you're out there and you need an enemy. It's okay. You need something to be fighting against, to be working against. There are people who are just built that way. I get it. No matter how many times I preach love your enemy, it will always be a stretch for me to love Celtics fans as a Lakers fan. I get it. We have to have something that we're opposed to. And actually, people say, like, we want to stand for what we're for. It's easier to motivate people when you just lift up what you're against. That will get people really excited. Long term, it's not healthy. Short term, it will get people excited. So I get it. So what I'm about to say right now, this is for those of you who need enemies. Because as Christians, we do have one enemy that we don't have to love. And the Bible is really clear, I think. For Christians, death is the enemy. For Christians, death is our enemy. That is what God was working to overcome. That is what God was responding to. And the moment sin entered into the world and brought death in here with it, that is what God has been trying to fix. Death is the enemy for Christians. And it's one of the most talked about subjects in the Bible, but we tend to kind of ignore it. But there's a passage in Corinthians that I absolutely love that reflects on death. It's in Corinthians chapter 15, and Paul, writing it, he basically says, he quotes this poem, he says, Oh death, where is your sting? Where, oh death, is your victory? It's this posture that Paul's taking of almost mocking death, of not being afraid of it, be willing to say, death, you have no more power. You have no more control. There's this confidence that Paul exhibits here in this passage when he writes this letter to the Corinthians that's almost 
in a way, flippant towards death. It loses its power. It loses its control. That's what the gospel does for us. And God's permanent response to death, the death that causes grief, the permanent loss of someone or something that we love, God's permanent response to that is resurrection. We're good at talking about the gospel and saying the gospel is Jesus died for your sins. But that's not the full gospel. The full gospel is Jesus died and then was resurrected three days later and in that death was overcome. That's the gospel, that's the hope, and that's the basis for the hope we have of resurrection in the future. That's the gospel message that is passed down in the New Testament to us. And death is there as the center, as the enemy that is overcome. That's God's permanent response to death. And we can't let go of that as Christians. But if we're not comfortable talking about death... It's kind of hard to talk about resurrection because they go together. That's just how it kind of works. As Christians, that is the gospel we rest in. That is the good news that is preached. But I know for many of us and for many people who hear the good news, it can feel so distant. So I don't think God just gives us a permanent response, but God also gives us a temporary response to death. And you see that in our passage in Deuteronomy 34. In Deuteronomy 34, you get all of this great language about Moses. All this language praising Moses and how great he was. And you get a couple lines of somebody else, somebody new. God lifts up Joshua. Moses had actually laid hands on Joshua. Joshua, son of Nun, is going to come and lead the Israelites now. Now, Joshua is not a replacement for Moses. Nobody can ever replace Moses. But Joshua is somebody that God provides for Israel. And that, I think, is God's temporary response to death for each and every one of us. It's other people. It's the people that God brings into our lives. It's the people who carry our grief with us who remind us that we don't have to actually be alone in the midst of this. We've been talking a lot about Moses' legacy and what Moses passed down. I think Moses' key legacy was the community that Israel built. They didn't have an identity when they were in Egypt. Moses built them up, set them down a path so that they had a community together, that they lived life together, and that when they're mourning his death here, when Israel is there weeping for him, Moses is the one who has brought them together so that they can do that together. And the church ends up inheriting that sense of community. The Christian church started amongst a bunch of Jewish people who inherited that sense of community that Moses had built. That, I think, is one of Moses' deepest legacies. And that's one of the ways that God responds in the midst of death and grief, is other people, is human beings. Not to replace the person or the relationship that you lost. And if you do try to just replace somebody, you're not really addressing grief. You're just trying to avoid it but people to walk alongside you 
People to remind you that as human beings, we all go through this together. That is God's temporary solution to grief. And that can be a reminder of the permanent solution of resurrection. It can be a reminder of the work God has done to overcome death once and for all. And that's, I think, one of the most beautiful things about the church. When churches are places where people can express their grief and share that together, that, I think, is when we're living into Moses' legacy. When we can actually mourn together and not be afraid of that and not have to have everything just be happy all the time, I think that's part of the legacy of the Bible. So, for us as Christians, how do we respond to grief? I've said we can't really ignore it, so what do we do? I think the first thing that we do as Christians is we recognize that in the face of any death, any loss, any grief, deep down we can have confidence. The same confidence that Paul exhibits in the Corinthians, in the letter to the Corinthians. We can have confidence that God has worked to overcome death, that God has responded to it, and whatever grief we have, it will be restored. Somehow and in some way that we can't fully explain now, we trust in God's character that it will be restored, and we live in that confidence. What else do we do with grief? We feel it. We don't ignore it. We don't bury it. We don't try to push it to the side. We allow ourselves to feel it. When appropriate, we talk openly. When ready, we talk openly with others about it. We don't hide it because we have that confidence. How else do we respond to grief? We respond with hope. Pushing people to that hope. Talked about the Moses legacy, and you saw that line there about a prophet like Moses never came again to Israel to, to this day when this was written here in Deuteronomy. One of the things Israel starts to expect, though, and start to hope for is a prophet like Moses. And in the Gospel of Matthew especially, you see that Jesus is being lifted up as a leader like Moses. Moses' death, it bore this hope that God was going to continue to work for Israel and through Israel. And that hope is something that they held on to. That hope was realized in Jesus, and then Jesus deepened that hope even more by being resurrected, pointing us to the resurrection. So for us as Christians, whenever we face death or grief, hope is our response. Not blind optimism, but a deep hope that can encompass and take over any grief that may come our way. And lastly, what do we as Christians do in those moments where we're feeling the grief overtaking us? We open our lives up to those people God might be bringing into our lives. Those people like Joshua that God brought into Israel's life, we open our lives up to people God might be opening, bringing us to us to help carry us through that. And we reach out to people who are experiencing that grief, who might be isolated, who might be alone. We reach out to walk alongside them. That's the kind of community Moses built here. That's a community that mourns for Moses, and that's the community that then moves on under Joshua's leadership when they say goodbye to Moses. And underneath all of that is a confidence and hope in the work of God. That's how I think we as Christians respond to grief. Please join me in prayer. Lord, 
you have worked to respond to that deep enemy of ours, death. You have worked to respond to the deep loss and sadness and grief that this world experiences. You have worked to respond to the sin that brought death into this world. Lord, you have worked to respond to all of that in the permanent solution of resurrection and the temporary solution of communities focused on resurrection, focused on you. Help us to carry one another. Help us to be present with one another. Help us to be connected to one another and help us to be open to the community around us. So many, Lord, will experience sadness during this holiday season. So many will be reminded of losses that they've experienced. Help us to be your people responding to them. Help us to be people who are able to say goodbye well to those we love and move forward in confidence and hope, feeling all the feelings that we feel with sadness, Lord. Help us to move forward as your hopeful people, pointing people to all that you've done to overcome death. Be with us in the midst of our grief, Lord. And Lord, as we move to take our offering now, bless this offering so that we can be that type of a church. Bless this offering so we can reach out to all of those who are grieving right now, who are alone and who are isolated. Help us to bless them. Help this offering to bless them. Help us to be your church. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. no space that his love can reach. There's no place where we can't find peace. There's no end to amazing grace. Take me in with your arms spread wide. Take me in like an orphan child. Never
as you go from here, may you go in confidence in the work God has done to overcome death. May you go in hope in the resurrection. And may you go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the love of the Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in peace, friends. God bless you, and amen.